are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for a special Sunday episode, it's NFL Championship Weekend. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Rob Rang. Rams and 49ers, they're in the middle of battling each other right now for the second spot in the Super Bowl. We don't know who's going to be advancing from that game just yet, but we know the Cincinnati Bengals, yes, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl and it's not on Madden. This is reality, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to talk a little bit about what the Seahawks might be able to learn from the Bengals' rapid rise to a Super Bowl contender this season. We'll be talking about that on the show, as well as taking a look at another topic on our weekly Makeover Monday. What are the Seahawks going to do at the most important position on the offensive line? As always, we're glad to have you on board and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Rob, we've talked about this quite a bit the last couple of seasons when we have gone from the actual games into offseason agenda and trying to change up how the Seahawks do things, how they handle their business in free agency. Because under John Schneider, typically they have tended to want to spend less money on depth players. They don't like to make big splurges in free agency. The last time they really did such a thing, well, I guess you could say Luke Jokel one year for $8 million. That was a pretty big splurge for a player that didn't deserve that kind of money. But Zach Miller, Sidney Rice, very early in John Schneider's time at the helm. Aside from that, they typically have not spent big bucks in free agency and have instead gone after veteran role players and signed quali- uh, quantity rather than signing game-changing players. Once again, we've reached that point, though, where it seems like maybe it's time to switch things up, especially after a 7-10 and 10 season. And the Cincinnati Bengals are further an illustration of why they should be making changes to how they handle their free agency. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, as you just mentioned, Cincinnati Bengals, uh, you know, just won the, the uh, you know the AFC title, um, and, and they did so on the heels of an offseason, Corbin, in which they they made some you know really big moves for them, but didn't necessarily spend that much. I mean, it was a a four year, sixty million dollar deal for Trey Hendrickson. We saw what a huge impact that that he made. Uh, both of their corners, uh, Chidobe Iwuzie. Uh, you know, Eli Apple, Mike Hilton as, as well. Actually, all three corners um, wound up uh, coming to Cincinnati as free agents. So they completely turned around that defense. And, you know, with all due respect to Joe Burrow, to Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, I mean, all the splashy guys that the Cincinnati Bengals have on offense, it was their defense that really was the story in that dramatic turnaround in the AFC Championship. It looked like it was going to be a laugher early on, Corbin. But again, it was the defense that really turned things around. And that is one of the reasons why I think the Seahawks, with a little bit more salary cap flexibility this season than they have had in years, and perhaps much more salary cap flexibility if they decide to uh, let go with some of their, their pricey uh, you know, players that they already have under contract um, that we've talked about in the past, this could be the year that Seattle does decide to be a little bit more aggressive. So I think that uh, it's you don't get to say this very often, but I think that there's a lot of NFL teams are going to be trying to follow the blueprint 
that the Cincinnati Bengals created a year ago. And I don't know that you can necessarily say this is just a Bengals thing because you even look at the Kansas City Chiefs, who unfortunately lost this game when they were up 21 to 3. Even the Chiefs, they reinvented their offensive line this offseason. They went out and they signed Joe Thune, a player that we were told the Seahawks were recording and trying to sign, but then the money just became too expensive. And ultimately, the Chiefs were the team that signed him. And then they also went out, they drafted Creed Humphrey. Seahawks fans are going to continue to be bitter about the fact the Seahawks had a chance to draft him and opted to pick a receiver instead. And then they traded a first-round pick for Orlando Brown Jr. to upgrade the left tackle position. I mean, they completely reinvented their offensive line after what the Buccaneers did to them to the Super Bowl last year. They spent a lot of money, and they've got a $35-plus-million-per-year quarterback on their roster, and they were still aggressive spending money, so – the Seahawks can't use that excuse anymore. They have had ample cap space in off seasons going into free agency the last couple of years, and they just have not allocated those funds the way that they should have. And we can keep looking back at the off season when they signed Eddie Lacy and Luke Jokel and all those players going into the 2017 season. That was a horrific use of financial salary cap capital. And then this past offseason, Kerry Hyder, that move didn't necessarily work out. Gerald Everett had some good games, but maybe didn't play up to expectations. A lot of the moves that they have made in free agency simply have not panned out when they have been trying to buy seven or eight players that are just role guys when they could maybe get a couple of those players and get a true difference maker. And there are going to be guys like that available on the market. And, and you know this, Rob. I'm somebody, when I'm wrong, I will eat crow. There was a player last year that hit the market, Trey Hendrickson, the Bengals ended up signing him. I thought way too much money for a player that had one breakout year. All he did was have 14 sacks for the Cincinnati Bengals. They look like geniuses. In fact, the contract they gave him now looks like a relative bargain. And he dominated this game today against the Kansas City Chiefs in the second half. So that has just opened my eyes to it more. Obviously, you don't want to sign an Albert Hainsworth. You want to be cautious in free agency and not just throw money at a, at a dartboard and hope something sticks, but you can't continue to expect to compete in a division as good as the NFC West when you aren't supplementing your roster with true game changers, with true star players. The Seahawks could have maybe gotten a few guys like that, but they haven't been willing to make those splashy signings and open up the checkbook. I think that's absolutely got to change this offseason if they want to get back into contention. And I'm not saying they need to buy a whole bunch of players but they need to add a couple game changers to this team if they want to get back over the hump and be back competing in the playoffs in January. Yeah, and you make a good point there because the, the Seahawks have made some fairly bold moves. They just haven't turned out. You know, obviously the trade for Jamal Adams is about as bold as you get, um, but it just obviously has not resulted in the type of big plays, at least this past season, that the Seattle was hoping for. Um, and then they go, kind of go back to Trey Hendrickson again. Uh, to me, that this is just uh, you know kudos to the Cincinnati Bengals because there was a lot of people out there who were very uh, you know skeptical about whether or not that he was going to be able to kind of duplicate the success that he had early on uh, in his NFL career at the Saints. There, there was Cincinnati, and of course he wound up doing so. But they also built some of their own players. Sam Hubbard, you know, almost uh, you know when he did force the fumble and almost actually got the ball back. Uh, to to put, uh, put the Cincinnati into the into the Super Bowl before the, the game even went into overtime. So uh, again, kind of a homegrown player, but I think that just reinforces how critical it is that you have a pass rush. Seattle, of course, did not have much of a of a dominant pass rush this past season, except 
in flashes towards the end of the year. So I think that's where you absolutely have to allocate some of your funds here. And then again, I think that it's kind of interesting to see uh, how how Kansas City, um, as you talked about, that they basically rebuilt their team to go back to the uh, you know be in contention. Cincinnati completely rebuilt their team. You think about the, the team that won it all a year ago, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and what they were able to do in bringing in Tom Brady. It, it's you know it sounds like a soap opera, but you have to be bold if you want to win in, in this era of NFL. And I think that the Seahawks basically realize that they have some superstars but at the same time they need a couple of more guys that have to be the game changers because that's what we're seeing in today's nfl with the two nfc west teams competing to to represent uh, to represent the nfc in the super bowl they each made bold moves as well during this offseason of course the rams might just be the you know the team that made the boldest moves with all their select all their moves for von miller and for jalen ramsey and for you know everybody else matthew stafford of course you know, and that's the thing is that if you're just kind of sitting on your hands at this point, then you are not going to be able to compete for very long in the NFL. So it is on the Seahawks to be able to kind of figure out a way to be able to add to this roster. They have to. And then not just adding bodies. You need to add true game-changing talent. And in particular, I think of the defensive side of the football. football there's going to be some guys that are going to be able to come in and help this team if the Seahawks are willing to spend the money. And to this point, John Schneider just hasn't seemed interested, but there's more than one way to build a championship caliber roster. Obviously, you want to develop your own guys, but you also got to be able to make smart moves in free agency. And sometimes that means investing a little more money up front. The Seahawks need to do that this offseason. You and I have been clamoring for it for the last couple of years, and they haven't necessarily done it. This needs to be the offseason they go on. And I'm not saying you spend all your cap space in one sitting on a four or five free agents, but you need to add some game changers that can really put this team back over the top rather than signing depth guys like Kerry Hyder that are solid players in their own right, but they're not difference makers. They're not guys that are suddenly going to make your defense, uh, your pass rush that much better. They're contributors. That's all those guys are. They need true difference makers. So we'll see what John Schneider does. Now they're coming off of a very disappointing 7-10 and 10 season. Maybe this will be the offseason where he says, you know what, we need to change our approach a little bit, especially if they've learned from seeing teams like the Bengals and the Chiefs that have gone out and they've made some of those splashy moves to help, help them have some deep postseason appearances. We're going to shift gears here in a moment, continuing our position-by-position position group review, staying along the defensive line with the defensive tackles group. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. And unlike other protein bars, it's not chalky or waxy, and it definitely doesn't taste like a chemical spill. If you want to eat healthy, it can be tough to do so this time of year. By like week three of your resolutions, you might be thinking this just isn't worth it. Where's the chocolate? But you don't have to worry about that with Built Bars. They're 100% real chocolate, just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. So many delicious flavors, coconut almond, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, and much more. Built is always coming out with new limited-time flavors, so check them out at built.com often to see what's new. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% of your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Sunday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got Super Bowl coming up, and it is brought to you by Get Upside. There's no better place to get coverage of the big game than on the Locked NFL podcast. Locked On NFL will be in L.A. all week covering the big game, so make sure to subscribe and download. It's available on all major platforms for free five days a week. Continuing our position-by-position analysis, we've looked at quarterbacks and defensive ends. We're going to stay on the defensive line here on today's show and talking about the big boys in the middle, defensive tackle position. And I think you can make an argument, at least for the guys that were starting, the players that were playing the bulk of the snaps, that in a year that ultimately was pretty disappointing for the Seahawks, this was one of the better overall position groups. For Seattle, they rank second in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per carry. And I think a big part of that is because of players like Al Woods and Puna Ford up front, holding serve in the trenches. They got good snaps from Brian Monet once again, dealt with a few injuries along the way. But those three players all played pretty darn well this year. And they got some contributions brushing the passer from those players. Al Woods had a career high in quarterback pressures this year. We saw Puna Ford come on in the second half, just as he did last year, and he started to really chip in, rushing the passer. Even Brian Monet destroyed Carson Wentz in the season opener, had a couple promising pass rushes this year. So this group, at least from a top-heavy standpoint, performed pretty darn well this year. They really did. Uh, you know, And that was one of the big surprises, at least in my opinion. Um, I really thought the defensive tackle was going to be a position of concern. I thought that we would see Rasheen Green slide inside uh, more often than he did. I thought that you would see more from LJ Collier, from Kerry Hyder. We, we were so excited about Robert Kimdiche. But to me, this was the Al Woods, uh, Puna Ford, Brian Monet shows almost exclusively. They were dominant at times. They kind of, you know, it was just kind of interesting to see how, they, you know, they would switch back and forth between them. I think that Woods was the most uh, consistent of them, certainly. Um, but at the same time, Al Woods is a free agent. Brian Monet is a free agent. Puna Ford um, was retained this past year. So it's going to be interesting to see if Seattle is able to uh, to bring those players back um, just because the fact that they did have such big seasons for the Seahawks and the fact that this is not a particularly good defensive tackle draft, Corbin. So some of the free agents that are available out there might get lured by bigger dollars elsewhere. Yeah, I, look, I think when you look at this group, as you mentioned, we gave Al Woods a couple of nods for our postseason awards because he was a fantastic player for the Seahawks this year. Career high in tackles for loss, career high in quarterback pressures, and really the numbers didn't do justice just how dominant he was up front. I can't tell you how many times that he was living in the backfield this year and his ability to make life easier for the linebackers by absorbing double teams and just taking up space in the middle. I mean, that's what nose tackles have to be able to do. You add in the fact that he was able to make a number of plays on his own in the backfield too. Again, he was one of the best defensive players for the Seahawks all year. I got to give him a solid B plus for the entire year. Puna Ford, I'm going to give a B minus just because my expectations going into this year I just don't feel like he met them. Not that he had a bad season. And like I said, end of the year, he did come on as a pass rusher and started to flash there. But we haven't seen enough consistency from a player that with his athleticism and his quickness, he should be more of a factor getting to quarterbacks and creating interior pressure than what he has been throughout his career. And he just hasn't taken that next step. 
that I've been looking forward to seeing from him. And I even thought his run defense early in the year wasn't quite what we have seen in his first few years in the league. End of the year, he was a monster as we've grown accustomed to. So I'm going to still give him a solid B minus, but I didn't feel like he had the dominant season that I really thought he was going to. I thought this was going to be a breakout year where he really broke out on the scene as one of the best all around defensive tackles in the NFC. And he didn't take that step, still a very solid starter in the league, but didn't necessarily take that next step. And Brian Monet, I'm going to give him a B minus too. I thought Monet had a solid year. There were some games where he kind of disappeared, but again, when it comes to handling nose tackle duties, he does a good job absorbing blocks, taking up double teams, and making life easier on the linebackers behind him, keeping them free to make plays. So overall, he had a pretty solid season too. I think the drop-off from there, though, is what's most notable because there was so much talk about Robert Kendiche in OTAs and mini camps, And, of course, the former first-round pick was not able to do anything building off that. Had a very quiet season, played in only a handful of games, no sacks, Gave him a few decent plays along the way, but really wasn't much of a factor. LJ Collier was a healthy scratch some of the first nine games. Played most of his snaps as a three-tech, but you can't give him anything other than an F as a former first-round pick that hardly played. And when he did, got pushed around in the run game, didn't provide much as a pass rusher. Really, the only other guy in the depth chart that did anything, Miles Adams in two games after getting called up from the practice squad, I thought he played pretty darn well. So I'm going to give him a B minus for the two games he played in because he held up against the run. He gave him a couple of pressures as a pass rusher in the interior. I thought you saw more from him than you did from the two former first rounders that were also on this roster. Yeah. And that's the thing about, you know, handing out player grades, you kind of touched on this. I mean, a lot of it is on your expectation. I mean, what are you kind of expecting of this player? And then, you know, sometimes we can let that influence our, our grades. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I personally was not expecting much out of Al Woods. Um, and I thought that Seattle's most consistent defensive player uh, this past season with a, you know, perhaps mentioned, mentioned Quandre Diggs, perhaps mentioning Jordan Brooks, but certainly along a defensive line, Al Woods was the most consistent player. So I think a, a B plus, an A minus even, I think is, is very, very fair for Al Woods. I mean, he just completely rejuvenated his career that, that year off. He looked like a completely different guy. I mean, there were games that he just completely took over, um, you know, and, and so that was definitely a, a surprise to me. With, with, with Puna Ford, I I got to go more in that C range, uh, maybe even a C minus. And, and again, some of that is because I think that we were both expecting him to take that next step forward. I think the Seahawks, frankly, were expecting him to take that next step forward. But I thought that he was he he lacked any type of impact kind of plays. Um, and that's something that you are expecting for a guy who does have his initial quickness and his motor. Um, you just didn't see a lot of big time, big time plays from him. To me, I, I would say it was C plus kind of uh, grade for for Brian Monet. Good football player, but but not a guy who is going to be able to ever give you much pass rush. So to me, that's one of the things that that Seattle absolutely has to do a better job of this year is they have to not they have to con continue to be as successful as they were against the run especially in division likes to run the football as much as the NFC West does. But at the same time, I, I think that it is critical that, that Seattle find a, a way to get more pressure on the quarterbacks. Everybody's going to focus in on those edge rushers, but you know, you are already pretty uh, you know, pot committed with, with Daryl Taylor. You believe you got a, a young superstar out there and the money is just so big for edge rushers. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Seattle dedicates either some draft capital or some of their, uh, some free agent dollars, maybe retaining some of the guys that they we just talked about before are free agents from their own team or looking elsewhere 
Again, that's what, something that the Cincinnati Bengals did. Um, we talked about the Kansas City Chiefs before, and they made their big moves, um, you know, as well, and kind of restocking their defensive line as well as their offensive line. To me, it is critical. You look at the teams that are playing, you know, at the, in the Super Bowl and deep into the playoffs, they have dominant defensive lines. Seattle's defensive line was anything but for most of the year. Yeah, I think this defensive tackle group was solid this year, but I think that the Seahawks would be going into this offseason with the wrong blueprint if they're not looking for a way to make this group even better. And the reason I'm bringing that up, if you can get your hands on a guy like Akeem Hicks, especially if Sean Desai becomes your defensive coordinator, Nick Lee and I talked about that on an episode last week, if you can get a player like that that is equally dominant against the run and rushing the passer and still has plenty of juice left in the tank if you could bring a player like that in to go with say Al Woods you bring him back at a fairly affordable rate and Puna Ford I mean as much as I like Brian Monet if you could have a player like Akeem Hicks taking his reps and it suddenly makes this pass rush that much better from inside out then I think you've absolutely got to explore it. DJ Jones from the 49ers another player that I really like and the Seahawks have signed some former 49ers DJ Jones would be a guy with his athleticism at 305 pounds and his physicality, his work ethic, his motor that I think would be a lot of fun to watch in this D-line too. So they can't go into this, this offseason just resting on their laurels at any position, especially I think defensive tackle with Al Woods being a free agent. You'd like to bring him back, but maybe you can bring him back and add somebody that's going to bring more juice in the pass rush to the defensive tackle group. And so I'm intrigued to see what direction they go, but anyway, slice it. They've got three guys up front that can get the job done. Depth's a little shaky. If you can find a way to improve that depth and maybe make your starting caliber players a little bit better through free agency, then I think you should go for it. It's going to be a fun group to watch as the offseason unfolds. It's makeover Monday, but we're shifting it onto Sunday with the NFL championships games happening today. So we're going to have our makeover Monday topic coming up here in a moment. We're going to be revisiting the Seahawks offensive line, the most important position along the offensive line and what the Seahawks might do at that spot this offseason. Make sure to check out this incredible app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. Our listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. That's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account, whether it's in your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. You have several different options to cash out. Download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. It's a special Sunday edition doing a Monday schedule NFL championship games. We just couldn't resist doing the show today because of what happened with the Bengals and Chiefs game, another thriller at Arrowhead Stadium. Bengals going to the Super Bowl. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We already touched on this a little bit earlier that the Seahawks should be making some adjustments to how they handle free agency. And I think one of the positions that they might have the toughest decision to make going into free agency and the draft this offseason is the left tackle position. Dwayne Brown 
has been such a rock for the Seahawks since they traded for him midway through the 2017 season. He made an all-pro team. He's made a couple Pro Bowls as a tackle for the Seahawks. And I thought he finished the 2021 season on a very strong note, just one sack given up in the last eight games. The first half, however, he looked like a 36-year-old tackle. Father Time had caught up with him, was getting beat, consistently gave up seven sacks during that span, just looked like a shell of himself. And so for our Makeover Monday topic, Rob, we're going to discuss what is happening next at left tackle because I think this truly is one of those questions that here heading into February, it's really anyone's guess what the Seahawks are going to do because I think there's a number of options that are on the table for them right now, including bringing Dwayne Brown back for another season. Yeah, I think bringing Dwayne Brown back is the most likely scenario because it just uh, the cover is pretty bare behind him. I mean, you're, you might be intrigued by uh, the development of Stone Forsythe. Obviously, that, that's something that, that you and I uh, cannot speak to very much because Forsythe simply didn't see the field. So maybe the Seahawks saw something in practice uh, that leads them to believe that Forsythe can be the, uh, you know, the heir apparent on that left tackle position. Uh, but at the same time, I think that uh, for exactly the reasons that you just uh, outlined there, the fact that Dwayne Brown finished his, uh, you know, finished his past season on such a high note, um, that is the biggest reason why I think that the Seattle is very likely to to bring him back. That, you know, Dwayne Brown made eleven and a half million dollars last season, Corey, but I, I don't know that he is going to necessarily be expecting a raise at this point at his age, um, and uh, you know because he struggled early on, but. Remember, he struggled early on, at least in my opinion, partially because of the fact that he was not participating throughout training camp. And so I think that that, is, uh, that was a mistake, I think, on, on Brown's part, I think on the Seahawks' part. Uh, I think that they got to be able to kind of mend those fences, be able to get Dwayne Brown participating in training camp, so that way he is able to hit the ground running, so to speak, uh, when the season begins. Um, and, and again, I, I think that that is uh, that's basically priority number one, really, uh, for this squad. Because if you can keep Russell Wilson upright, um, then that that much more likely that you're going to have the, the season that you expect. Uh, so to me, that would be the, the uh, you know not only one of the top priorities, but I think the most likely outcome for the Seahawks at left tackle position. If we're going to look at other candidates, of course, there are a few free agents out there. There, there are some intriguing prospects in the NFL draft. I am here live in Las Vegas for the East-West Shrine game, and I can tell you that the Seahawks have their scouts are here. They're in full force. They've got Steve Hutchinson um, basically working on a consultant contract who is also just following the offensive line everywhere that they go uh, for, for both squads. So that's been kind of fascinating to watch from afar what, what Seattle is looking at that way. But at the same time, I think, again, that the most likely scenario is that big number 76 is back for the Seahawks. There are a number of reasons why it makes sense to bring Dwayne Brown back. And first and foremost, as we've talked about, he did play well the end of last season. It wasn't like it was a couple games. It was an entire half of football. And I think the center position played a role in his struggles. We've talked about this time and time again. How many times did he look at Kyle Fuller in the first seven or eight games after giving up a sack in frustration, like there was a missed call or that the communication was not on par? Ethan Posey gets back in the lineup, and I don't think it's a coincidence that suddenly Dwayne Brown remembers how to pass block again, and he's got his run blocking going. I think that that was a big part of it. So they've got to have stability at the center position, which we're going to talk about more in later episodes. Obviously, that's going to be a very pressing need for the Seahawks through free agency of the draft, figuring out what they're going to do 
there. It doesn't seem like they can settle at that position like they did last year. But Ethan Posted coming back in the lineup helped Dwayne Brown out tremendously. And I think that's one big reason the Seahawks will strongly consider bringing him back on a one-year deal. And you mentioned the cost. I don't see how he could argue that he deserves more than what he made last year. In fact, if I'm the Seahawks, I'm at most, I'm paying him $10, $10.5 million in 2022. And I'm telling him, you're, tw- you're going to be 37 years old in August. You're not a spring chicken. You're still a solid player, but you know you can make the argument he's not a top five, top 10 left tackle anymore. We're not going to pay you that kind of money. He understands the business. He hinted at this in press conferences this year. I think he understands the stage of his career that he's at. And that would not be an insulting offer if the Seahawks offered him that for one year. I don't know that he's going to get much more than that if he hits the free agent market because of his age and how inconsistent he was last year. But I think that cost being down, it makes it much more likely the Seahawks are going to stick status quo at left tackle for one more season. Russell Wilson trusts Dwayne Brown at left tackle. You do have some intriguing options that could be available in free agency. Teron Armstead, former pro bowler and all pro selection for the New Orleans Saints, a significantly younger player, did have some injuries this past season, but has been a very good left tackle in the NFL for a number of years. He could be your long-term guy. Orlando Brown Jr., I would expect the Chiefs, after giving up first-round pick, are going to do everything in their power to try to re-sign him. But they've got a pretty tight salary cap situation right now. So in the event that he's available in March, you're talking about a 26-year-old that's been one of the best pass-protecting tackles on either side the last four years. That would be something that would really excite Russell Wilson if the organization went out and said, we just got you a premier in his prime left tackle to protect you in the pocket. So there are some options out there, but again, all I'm seeing are dollar signs and maybe that's what John Schneider needs to do. He needs to throw some real bucks at the offensive line, but I think there are other position groups. He's probably more likely to splurge when it comes to making a splashy signing than the tackle spot, especially if you can bring Dwayne Brown back for significantly less on a one-year deal. And you believe that stone Forsythe still might be the guy down the road. There are a number of variables to consider, but I'm with you. I think it's more likely than not Dwayne Brown is back for another season in Seattle. Yeah. And, and you didn't mention one of the other uh, young left tackles that is likely to hit the free agent market. Uh, and, that, and that's Cam Robinson in Jacksonville. Now he was, uh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. put on a, on a franchise tag this past year. He also was just 26 years old. He also has struggled with consistency um, at, as has Orlando Brown jr. But still, at that age, they're going to get big dollars. And that's one of the reasons why I do think that Seattle is, is perhaps going to be able to uh, get Dwayne Brown at a, at a reasonable price point because the teams that are really desperate for offensive tackle help, and you know, let, let's be real, there are a lot of NFL teams out there that are looking for offensive tackles, then I, I would expect those three uh, that we just mentioned, Tron Armstead, Cam Robinson, Orlando Brown Jr., all to get the big type of deals and then you're going to have some of the older veterans like a Dwayne Brown like a Jason Peters who still plays pretty good football even at his age and we're seeing in San Francisco 49ers with Trent Williams the Los Angeles Rams with Andrew Whitworth you know some of these guys who are older are still playing really good football at that left tackle position so again to me uh you know that's all the more reason why I think that Seattle is going to bring back that the alpha dog that uh, that Dwayne Brown is, and he is truly the leader along the offensive line. And that's not something that you can just say just because he's older. He just brings that type of mentality. He's the tough guy 
uh, along that offensive line. You mentioned before about how how angry sometimes he he looked at, at Kyle Fuller. I mean, he looked at at Kyle Fuller like he just got. Uh, you know, cut off on, on the freeway or something. There was like some road rage there. And that's the kind of <laughs> mentality I think that the that the Seahawks have, have lacked, frankly, along the offensive line. So again, it, it's not just the fact that I, I think that, uh, that Dwayne Brown is a good football st- player still. I also think that he has the mentality that, that the Seahawks prioritize along the offensive line. I don't know that Stone Forsythe has that kind of uh, of just nastiness to him. He, at least he didn't show that consistently at the University of Florida. And, and so to me, again, that, that's the most likely scenario. If they were to go with the young route, then, hey, Stone Forsyth is, is a big, long guy. He, he does have good athletic ability. It's just can he be the mover in the running game? So, you know, I don't want to, you know, put the, the cart in front of the horse here too much, but we're going to be talking later, later about the running back position, of course, and what Seattle is going to be doing at that spot. I think that what they do at left tackle is going to have you know go part and parcel with what they do at running back. If this is a team that, as Pete Carroll has always wanted to do, run the football down team's throat, I think that the most likely scenario, again, is to go with Dwayne Brown. Because if you get one of these pass-blocking specialist left tackles, that might be everybody that wants Russell Wilson to cook. That might be what they want, but that's not what Pete Carroll has prioritized in the past. Yeah, I think this all boils down to cost. Because if somehow Dwayne Brown – hits free agency, and even at his age that teams are throwing $13, $14 million per year at him, I could see the Seahawks saying, you know what, let's spend a little bit more on one of these younger guys and see if we can reel them in. If you can bring Dwayne Brown back on a one-year deal at your price, though, a guy that's well-respected in your locker room, still a very solid left tackle, then you certainly go that route as well. But it seems to me like they're going to make one of those two choices. I'll be stunned if they go into this year saying Stone Forsythe's the guy based on the little that we saw him in the field. Not that he couldn't be your left tackle down the road. Uh, I'd be really surprised, though, if that's what they roll into training camp with. It's either going to be Dwayne Brown or they're going to make a, an addition of some sort in the free agent market. You could say draft maybe as well, but I would think they would want a veteran at that left tackle position. Still seems like Dwayne Brown most likely coming back. That's probably your most likely result in this situation. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, on YouTube five days a week. Since we did our episode on Sunday, there won't be a Monday show, but Rob and I will be recapping our thoughts from the NFC Championship game when we return on Tuesday. And we are going to be diving into the Senior Bowl. I know you're very excited about that, Rob. You're on your road trips right now, checking out all the prospects out there the Seahawks can consider when the draft gets here in April. So we'll be looking at offensive players from the Senior Bowl Very excited. One of our favorite segments the entire year as we start shifting our focus towards the NFL draft. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Go Hawks.